From Relativity and our Relativity One partners, this is Uncivil Procedure, the e-discovery podcast. I'm Anna Srunian, Program Manager on the Event Marketing Team, and here is your host, Relativity Discovery Council and Legal Education Director, David Horrigan. Thank you, Ms. Sarunian, and welcome to another episode of Uncivil Procedure, the e-discovery podcast brought to you by Relativity and our Relativity One partners. This week, we're going to be discussing something new, modern, hip, and 21st century, and that, of course, is mobile e-discovery. We once were in an era, as we've discussed on this broadcast before, where we talked about sticky notes, bait stampers, and other antiquated artifacts of a bygone era. But now we're in the 21st century, new, modern, hip, and space age. And we're going to have a guest today who is helping her firm and, frankly, the entire e-discovery community get into that world. But first, back to Ms. Sarunian and a word from our Relativity One sponsor, BDO. Support for this episode of Uncivil Procedure is brought to you by BDO. The shift from traditional IT solutions to the cloud is changing the way data is collected and stored. That's why BDO has expanded its toolkit to include Relativity One. Relativity One streamlines the e-discovery process, creating faster review times and better insights for you. Robin Cyrus, Cloud National Practice Lead for BDO Advisory, says, With Relativity One, you get away from being in the IT business and start focusing on your core business and competencies. Focus on what you do best. Let someone else manage the infrastructure. Thank you, Ms. Saruni, and of course, thank you, BDO. Now let's meet our guest, Allison Grounds of Troutman Sanders. Allison is not only a longtime partner of the firm, she's managing director of Troutman Sanders Emerge, the e-discovery branch of the firm. She heads up a great team there, including Chris Haley and a lot of legal professionals who really modernize e-discovery. When I was at law school at the University of Florida, we had a property professor who happened to be from Boston who always exclaimed, the road to Atlanta is paved with gold. And of course, Troutman Sanders was one of the firms to which he was referring, uh, a very successful firm. And Allison and her team are bringing it into the 21st century, specifically with e-discovery. Allison, welcome to Uncivil Procedure. Well, thank you for having me. Absolutely. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do at Troutman Sanders Emerge? Well, I guess you could say that we do just about anything related to e-discovery, as well as anything legal technology focused that can help our clients solve the problem of massive amounts of data that need to be sifted through to find the answers to their legal problems. Uh, so our team does end-to-end e-discovery work from preservation and collection um, through analysis and relativity, production, and trial support. Gotcha. And I didn't mean to make it seem as that everyone at Troutman Sanders, at least all the partners, were Chauncey Wadsworth and their friends at the club. But it must have been somewhat of a hard sell to have something as revolutionary as eMERGE. Was it a tough proposal to sell at the firm? You know, it took a few years. Um, I I will say it wasn't an overnight um, success, but um, I started as an IP litigator at the firm and was going to our clients and gathering boxes of documents and bringing them back with the sticky notes. Um, And as we started to use more technology through service providers and others, we realized we really could add more value to our clients if we weren't only giving them the discovery counsel advice, but also implementing the technology solutions ourselves. So the sell was pretty easy once we sort of built the business case for that and explained the way that we could help our clients and add a a unique value to a problem that they were facing. So it sounds simple now, but we were very fortunate to have great buy-in from the leadership of the firm um, and great team members like Chris on board to be able to show how we could do this ourselves and and do it well. Great. And you know, also, uh, in addition to Atlanta, you've also made stops at some of the South's finer institutions of higher learning, Um, obviously law school at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, and then um, undergrad 
New Orleans at Loyola. Um, we were next door at Tulane, of course, but we did not have Touchdown Jesus. We felt deprived. Well, you know, Touchdown Jesus is an icon at Loyola and is the subject of many pranks, um, unfortunately. Um, but it's also what we didn't have that you guys had. I think at the time you had a better library where we frequently studied. And I don't think you had um, the special training we had for all new students, which was what to happen if you got put in central lockup in New Orleans. <laughs> so, you know, we all had different things to contribute to the block there near Audubon Park. So um, it's a, it was a definitely a training ground for, for surviving in a, in a big law firm. Fun fact, they were worried about us, too. Your Tulane ID was your get-out-of-jail free card. <laughs> but um, in all seriousness, and this is a public service announcement, um, it's Mardi Gras, people are young, people are having fun. Um, they'd go down to the French Quarter, and they would relieve themselves where they shouldn't be relieving themselves. The problem for the legal tidbit of the day, and by the way, on Uncivil Procedure, we do not give legal advice, friendly advice, only legal advice. In some jurisdictions, that crime is not relieving yourself in the French Quarter. That crime is indecent exposure, which gets you registered as a sex offender. So if you're partying in New Orleans, on behalf of the good people of New Orleans, find a restroom. Um, but, you know, Allison, you were a keynote speaker at uh, Elticon this year, and uh, you mentioned, you know, if this whole emerger lawyer thing hadn't worked out, um, you could always be a bartender. Um, maybe you were a bartender at one point. Yes, it's, uh, it's been the backup plan for a while now. Um, being in college in New Orleans, bartending is a, is a great side gig. So it was a great experience to be able to, in fact, I think I, one of the reasons I went to law school was there was a regular table of judges that would come in every Saturday morning uh, and smoke their cigars and have their straight martinis up at 10 a.m. Uh, so <laughs> God I bless a, New Orleans. I got a great chance to, to learn a little bit more about what the practice of law would be like and, and realize that, you know, if this doesn't work out, I can always try to serve some drinks and uh, make myself useful. Excellent. Well, you know, to help us in this discussion of mobile technology today, we have our triumvirate of knowledge, our partners from Relativity, this episode's panel. Uh, first, of course, is Constantine Pappas, Senior Manager of Relativity Solutions here at Relativity. Constantine, the first question for this episode, what was your first mobile phone? Excellent. Well, good morning and welcome, Allison. Uh, my first mobile phone was a Sprint phone. It was like a blue metallic, uh, very small thing. It had solitaire on it, which was like magical to me that you could actually play a game on your phone. This was pre-camera, uh, and the screen was uh, was smashed by a by a lobby uh, turnstile as I was going into work one day. And I was never able to recover that phone. Whoa, 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 whoa! The building did not make you whole. The building did not. The firm did not. Sprint did not. No one made me whole. Premises liability a, is a serious a, thing, sir. I have had a a, a, a flip phone sized hole in my soul now for you know many years. That's a country music song. Yes. A flip phone sized hole in my soul. Anyway, I'll stop no, there. No, keep going. No, do not stop <laughs> no, there. I want to hear the refrain on that one. <laughs> going from the flip. Phone size hole in Constantine's soul to Daniel Pelk, Esquire, Senior Manager, Industry Marketing here at Relativity. How about your first mobile phone? Oh, David, I'm going to take you back to 1990. Uh, I had just moved to Minnesota. You have to understand my wife's grandfather, who needed to know where every member of the family is, even in the periphery, at all times. So it wasn't a handheld phone. It was a car-mounted phone oh. in my bright green Volkswagen. I had the curly antenna on the back that everyone, you know, people wanted that. Oh, yeah. 
So you could buy fake ones. Mm -hmm. But then I had the car-mounted phone that, so for really the only reason that my wife, my mother-in-law, well, she would be my mother-in-law and I guess grandfather-in-law could know where I was at any given time. And uh, that sort of ethos hasn't changed in the family all that much. Last and never least, Julie Huner Esquire. What was your first mobile phone? And this was way before you became customer success manager here at Relativity. Way before I became the best customer success manager. <laughs> oh, of course. Yes. I want to I make sure corrected. we get that title right. Thank you. We're <laughs> still before that time. <laughs> yes. oh. oh, that was a good Harsh. one. Harsh. I'll give you that one. That was good. Um, can we cut that though? Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I'm actually really glad that I, I am the last one to go. I, I wasn't sure where I was going to fall in the timing here of when people had their first cell phones. But my first cell phone I got when I was 16. My mom was convinced that my car was going to break down at all times, and so she wanted to make sure I had a cell phone. Uh, and I will say that I was the only one of my friends that had a cell phone, so it had no function. Uh, it was uh, like a, a, I think it was a Nokia. It wasn't quite the big brick cell phone that people remember. It was a tiny bit smaller than that, but still, like, you couldn't put it in your pocket unless you had huge pockets. How did you get to be so special and be the only kid with a cell phone? Because my mom was insane. Like okay. She, yeah, right, she just yeah. she thought I had to have it. Uh, I never used it, except it did have, I don't remember it having solitaire, but it had snake. You guys remember snake? No. Oh, Missed yeah. that one. It was that. just like a little, no snake? a few little pixels of dots that you moved around and like navigated. And the huh? snake grew longer. And they grew played. longer the better you did. Yeah. No idea. Missed no. that. Oh my goodness. No. Wow. It was great. I, I see a couple of heads nodding, so I'm not crazy. I thought that was like the oldest phone game I did too. out there. I did too. I feel like it could be older than the phone Candy you're referencing. Crush? It was before or... flip phones. Wow. So... Miss Arunian, we cannot leave you out of this fun-filled trip down memory lane. Your first phone? Well, my first phone story isn't all that exciting. It was just a cute little silver flip phone, I think, from, like, U.S. Cellular or something that's not currently, like, active anymore. But I, my, I have a better story. My first job when I moved to Chicago, or actually my second job when I moved to Chicago was at an event production company. And so, like, on event sites, you have to be able to communicate with people vendors, people who don't have like a radio or are within like the vicinity that you are. And so my boss was telling me that when he was working on the Taste of Chicago many, many years ago, he had to have like a Merce phone oh. that was like in a bag that he carried around yeah. that he would have to like, that's how he like made phone calls. And it was like a 12 by 8 like bag that he had to carry. Yes, my first phone was the bag phone in the oh car. Gosh. It was a Motorola. It had a flip. The battery weighed about oh, 500 yeah. pounds, and I think it was $10 a minute to, to <laughs> call. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so like it was emergency only on event sites that you were able to use that phone. Yes, yeah. because of the $10 per minute call. Yes. Right, for sure. But you still had to carry that 20-pound thing around mm -hmm. on your back. And plug it into the cigarette lighter or something. <laughs> yeah, great. Probably, yeah. Thank you all of you for sharing your stories of antiquated old devices, but um, bringing this thing up to the 21st century. Um, Allison, I think everyone at this table has been in some way involved with the mobile technology and the case law going on here. We're about to hear a real big boo across the room because I'm going to bring up the seminal case of mobile discovery law, Deflategate. Boo. Yes. yes. I hear another guy from Boston talking about Deflategate. Come on, Dave. Um, you know, truth be told, I am still a big Saints fan. So I actually love Tom Brady a little bit less than I love Drew Brees. Don't tell my wife that. But um, 
Mobile discovery. You know, one of the things that happened in Deflategate was allegedly Tom Brady stomped on the cell phone and allegedly the legal advice from his agent was, well, both you and your supermodel wife are celebrities, so you really need to destroy that data. In other words, under the old Federal Rules of Civil Procedure, it was the good faith operation of a system there. Um, <laughs> I guess you could take it that way. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Trying to go for a stretch here, wow. but um, Allison, I mean, you've been a partner, you are a big partner at a big law firm, you're the managing director of this, you've been an Iltacon keynote, you're a celebrity in our world, would you ever stomp on your phone as a data hygiene method? <laughs> you know, I'm going to say that uh, I don't think I have big enough boots to, to really do any damage to my um, my cell phone, but, but it is funny because not only in that case, but when you read all of the case law related to mobile device discovery, I kind of have a running list of the ways that the phones were destroyed. <laughs> Stomping is one of them, dropping it on a tile floor in the bathroom, somebody's niece threw it in a can of Coke, I think there were some, uh, what was another one, rolled over by a forklift, so I, it's really just the Yes, that was a construction yeah. dispute. So I think just keeping a running tally of the ways in which mobile devices meet their demise, especially in the e-discovery world, is, is sort of a fun little side hobby of mine. Mm -hmm. Do you do a lot of spoliation cases? Do you find it an issue? Not that your clients would ever spoliate anything, but um, any fun stories as far as spoliation that you've experienced? You know, I think uh, from the case law as well as just in practice, you see certainly the... Um, accidental spoliator, people just not understanding. And you see, I think, a change and a shift where people are a little less sympathetic, just as they were when you used to not understand that your computer was important and that emails were relevant. That idea that your mobile device isn't going to be relevant to litigation uh, and the assumption that it's okay that you don't understand basic things is, is going away. Um, I think my my spoliation story for the mobile device is a is an active matter, so I will uh, no. protect the names of the of the innocent. How but it's actually of you, counsel. But it's actually my adversary in this particular case has um, continued to have a series of, of of issues, and mobile device preservation being one that recently came out in our 30b6 depositions of them. So I think it's a and they are pleading the oh well we, who knew I mean two weeks before the forensic examiner showed up <laughs> we just got that new phone and. Uh, we didn't track those that have been uh, relevant for the past few years of this litigation. So um, you definitely see this being, because it's mobile, because it's, I guess, easy to destroy, I don't know, uh, and easy to lose, and difficult, as we all know, to actually um, collect from uh, and preserve. You're, you're seeing that. I think that's why you're seeing the rise in case law. People know there's information there or potentially information there, um, and it's becoming more of a discussion point in cases than it used to be. Sure. And of course, with mobile devices, data end up in weird places. <laughs> Constantine Pappas Esquire, you apparently know of a story, maybe north of the border. Well, I heard the story north of the border, but I can't confirm that it was an actual Canadian raid. And I, I tried to do some research to find a, a little bit more out of it because it was, it, was um, it was a forensic uh, collection agent that was brought in to work on this case, and there was a police raid. And they suspected that there was some uh, some money laundering going on by th by this group, and they were in a very kind of low rent, kind of seedy neighborhood. They got the warrant. They went into the place, in the house, no no computer, uh, no phones, nothing. And they and they really were about ready to leave. They thought that they had maybe come to the wrong place, or they just weren't going to get anything. And in a back in the back of a drawer in a desk, they found a sports watch. Hmm. 
And uh, they're like, ah, we doubt it, long shot. So they pulled out the sports watch and they, they plugged it in and they did some decryption and they found everything. All the incriminating data was on this watch, very expertly hidden. And I just thought this was just the most amazing thing I'd ever heard. And uh, obviously criminals are getting much more clever as far as how they, they, they hide this data. And I'm sure you know lots of other folks are, are doing it uh, out of paranoia as well. I, you're talking about like how people smash their phones. Like I keep, uh, I don't keep my phones, but I keep all of my hard drives when I switch from computer to computer. Mm-hmm. I just don't like, I don't, I don't know. I don't want to dispose of it. I just, I mean, it's not that big. I can put it in a drawer and I know where it is, you yep. know. But it is interesting that you bring that example up because typically in e-discovery nerd land, the case law and the developments in those lo- and the laws were coming from the civil side. And definitely in the mobile space, you're seeing these creative use cases and the encryption issues and the tracking issues coming from the criminal side and the Fourth mm-hmm. Amendment issues. So it is, I think, interesting to see that change and shift in where the leading case law and discussions are really coming more from the criminal side. It's very interesting. I mean, I have one of these watches. And it is really easy to turn it into a USB mass storage device. Sure. I mean, you just flip a button and you've got all the storage on here. So it's it's remarkable. Can uh, we throw that onto somebody's laptop and see what you got on there? Yeah. <laughs> you can see all the steps I take. <laughs> He's going to stomp it real quick before he... Yeah. I've, I've immediately stopped wearing my Fitbit after hearing this. I, I don't want any of that data. I don't want people to be tracking me. State v. Debate, mm-hmm. man. Yeah. The poor, poor wife meets an untimely demise. Husband's grieving. Oh, but wait. The Fitbit says she was still jogging around when you say she was dearly departed. Yeah. Scary stuff. And then let's like ramp up the creepiness factor a little bit. Yeah, yeah. with uh, let's do that. Yes, yeah, let's. Yes, yeah. yes. Facial <laughs> recognition. Um, these stories get weirder and weirder, and um, the jurisdiction gets entertaining, too. I mean, there's the big um, Northern District of California litigation that is going on in facial recognition, and they're actually applying Illinois law. Why? Because we have the Illinois BIPA law, the Biomedic Information Privacy Act, which allows private rights of action. So you're in a great spot if you can go to California and apply Illinois law. We take no position on this case, by the way. Um, just pointing that fun fact out there. I just want to say BIPA. Yeah, really. <laughs> How about um, the most embarrassing mobile phone story one might have. I don't, I don't do I anything yeah, embarrassing. I don't, know if I have I, embarrassing. I do remember uh, a time when technology failed us, and Constantine, you were actually here for this. We were in London for, for one of, it was before we called it Relativity Fest London. The Roadshow. Uh, the Roadshow. Road road uh, for Spring people who, road show. who are familiar with it, yeah. And there was about five of us who had gotten in early that day, and we were all on the international data plan. So we all just kind of had assumed that our phones were working. Do you remember this? We went on the London Eye. Yes. And then we got off the eye and we're kind of like walking around. What do we want to do for the rest of the day? And then somebody's like, I don't think my phone's working. And there was a good probably 15 minute period where we all stood in a circle trying to figure out how to use our phones. And eventually one person got their data to kind of connect. And there's an email like, everybody come back to the hotel now. We need help with the keynote. And so we all went like running back and panicking and freaking out. But I took a picture of it and it was just brilliant because there was five people from a technology company <laughs> standing on the sidewalk in London, all looking at their phone just completely perplexed. I think I have that picture yeah, somewhere. Yeah, I'm sure you do. I think I put it on Facebook at one point. That same London Eye thing uh, was where I was like the victim of identity theft where they canceled my credit card and they were trying to take out thousands and thousands of pounds wow. like all over at ATMs all over London wow. because that was the only place that I used it was to get my ticket for the London Eye. Oh my Eye. goodness. 
So, Man. so beware the London Eye, folks. I Skimmer, guess. apparently. Yeah. Wow. Lots of friendly warnings in this episode. Um, Allison, as the team will tell you, one of my favorite data cases is Taylor Swift. Not the alleged egregious fact pattern that happened before, but the comical dog ate my homework story afterwards. And of, of course it involves the surreptitious audio recording and then whoops, coffee spilled on the MacBook and whoops, how was he transporting that audio data? Do you ever have audio data come up as an issue in your cases? Yes, actually, I've, I've had a similar case. I mean, it didn't involve Taylor Swift or anyone nearly as, as famous, but we did have a, a plaintiff in a case who had some selective audio, and uh, we had to pursue uh, getting the full audio and got similar excuses as to why there may why it may not all be there. So the, the selective uh, preservation of audio recordings and the format in which it was recorded was a little wonky, uh, and there was evidence that it was um, edited in some way, so we kind of had to reverse engineer and figure out what the original file format would have been and, and, and pursue that. Uh, it's not a common um, source of information for us. The, the, but that particular plaintiff had decided to do a similar thing and record conversations that were had during an internal investigation and some discussions with counsel. So, um, But it doesn't come up a lot in our cases, except for maybe um, recordings from customer service lines and things like that. But the, oh, yeah. the average person just putting out a recording device and, and having audio for a case is, is pretty rare. Gotcha. Now let's have some embarrassing stories about mobile <laughs> technology, and I will bet that Constantine Pappas Esquire can help us out here. Indeed I can. Excellent. So uh, I have a relativity-issued company phone. It's an iPhone uh, 7S Plus, uh, and it has uh, demons or gremlins living inside of it. <laughs> uh, and the reason I say that is whenever I throw it down or I'm just kind of like mishandling it, it seems to launch apps or call people on its own and I'll pick it up and I'm like I had no intention or I'll hear it ringing and uh, a couple of years ago <laughs> I uh, I was reading the phone and I was about to jump in the shower and uh, I got undressed and I threw my phone down and I heard some ringing I picked it up and it was uh, honest to God it was it was FaceTiming my boss <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I, I shrieked <laughs> He, uh, he was out of town. He did not. Uh, he did not pick up. Thank God, because that's. Uh, I certainly would not be on this podcast <laughs> or, or anywhere near the building at this point. Uh, it may be time to to either kill the demons or do an exorcism or just maybe get a new phone. But that's my story. Perhaps. Have you guys seen the TV advertisement that's out now where there's a guy and he is in a suit and he's got a tie on, but he's also in his boxer shorts and he's doing a conference call and then he hits the laptop and then the camera's like. <laughs> yeah. Hashtag work from home issues. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I haven't seen it. That's great. This is also why you never answer a FaceTime from Constantine. Just yeah. <laughs> there was no nefarious intent. Was, I was equally a victim. <laughs> of the gremlins. Of the gremlins. They're out to get me. I think they're going to follow you wherever they go. Yeah. Probably That's, in your number, not the probably phone. probably some, yeah, some curse that I deserve. Yeah. Sorry, man. Oh, well, he didn't answer, so that was good. <laughs> Dodge that bullet. Career All's saved. well that ends well. Indeed. That day. Yes. <laughs> At least one day. And now it's time for that fun-filled time of the episode, Stump the Panel. And why don't we start with Julie Huner Esquire on this one. Yes. Are you ready for question one? I'm as ready as I'm ever going to be. All right. A new family of tech is taking the concept of wearable devices to a new level. Aimed at literally making technology a part of the human condition, this trend has potential for revolutionary medical applications, as well as dangerous experimentation. 
What is it called? I have no idea. Dangerous experimentation. Are you ready for the first hint? I am. All right. Body modification is part of the process. I keep having ideas, but then I go back to the dangerous. Let me give a hint that may help also. Our executive producer, Brendan Ryan, mentioned that the 21st century term biobreak is perhaps unpleasant. Think of that term. I got nothing. Don't I'm look at nowhere me. Okay. closer. I just feel like I'm not clicking today. Another one. No, 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 no. This one is somewhat veiled. It's difficult. Another hint. Basically, it's setting the stage for the cyborg apocalypse. Body modification. So you've got wearable devices. You've got the word bio. You've got a perhaps cyborg issue with hackers hacking in. Anybody? Uh, I don't know. I was going with implantable see. microchip for a while. I was thinking like an ocular implant or something the, like that that does the extended yeah. like reality. But then you got me with BioBreak. Right. All right. Um, perhaps that hint was not a good one, <laughs> taking you off course. Um, the answer is biohacking. Oh. And don't feel bad. No one got that. I wouldn't have gotten it either had not our editor, Sam Bach, given me the answer. <laughs> um, although the term biohacking can cover everything from specialized diets to uh, other various creepy things, a group known as grinders are taking biohacking to an extreme using body modifications and implants to create new senses and test groundbreaking medical devices. Wasn't this an episode of Homeland or something yeah. where they like hacked into somebody's pacemaker to yeah. kill them? It, that's how they like assassinated somebody. I, I could be making that up. Well, no, 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 you're I, not, and it's yeah. real life too. Yeah, yeah. The yeah. vice president, yeah, yeah. yeah it was Dick a vice Cheney. president, exactly. Right, right. I still watched it back then. Mm -hmm. That's right. No, there, in real life, there were serious concerns about when Dick Cheney went in for mm -hmm. his procedure. I remember if, that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. if um, and we wouldn't want Dick Cheney to be hacked. No. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, now the 47th disclaimer of this episode, <laughs> we take no political opinions, no political advice, and no political positions on any issue on this show. No. Daniel Pelk Esquire, let's get off Dick Cheney's pacemaker and um, move on to uh, a question for which I hope you are ready. I am ready to go, David. Let's do All it. All right, and I hope it's easier than the last one. Me too. Sprint announced recently its release of the first dedicated, fully virtualized, and distributed core Internet of Things network and integrated operating system. The offering is designed to help enterprises manage widespread IoT devices with improved security and connectivity. What is its name? Wow. I'm going to need every hint you have in the book. <laughs> A certain Mars rover responds to this name too. There's, uh, there's several Mars rovers. I can't remember. Um, Start listing them off. Yeah. 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 Alphabetical All workplace. I know is there's several Mars rovers. <laughs> oh. And I, I call them all the Mars rovers. Yeah. <laughs> Here's another one. It could be lethal to a feline. What's lethal? I only have dogs. Well, maybe that's it. Yeah. It's a, a cat. Dog. Apparently I'm putting him at great <laughs> risk by not knowing what this. What could kill a cat? Oh. Coyote. Curiosity. I was going literal, like what can kill a cat, but I was too. It was like I, chocolate. I often spend a lot of time ruminating <laughs> on how to kill cats, but 
There's more than one way to skin them. I know that. Yes. (laughs) Disclaimer number 48. We love animals. Dogs, cats, kittens, puppies. We have a pet wall here. We do. Indeed. We have a pet wall. Curiosity, David. Yeah, we're nice people. And (laughs) Daniel Pelk, you get that right. Does he? does he? Constantine got it. I think Constantine You're busted got it. by Miss Cerrone. This, <laughs> this panel a, is a team. She had a tough question. It's fair. <laughs> this panel is a team. We, uh, we've, we've got each other's it's backs. It's you two we, that have each other's backs yeah, these days. Right. I yeah. think Julie's I think the, the ladies over here, we've got each other. Wow. Yeah, right. I, everyone. <laughs> Who would have draw lines like that? Unnecessary. Unnecessary. Julie, you the answer is biohacking. Yeah. I, yeah. yeah. I didn't know the answer. Why don't you use that mobile device of yours? You could have looked it up for me. Wow. Well, that's cheating, isn't it? <laughs> I think we all need to remember the nauseatingly sweet corporate tagline of the 21st century. Teamwork makes the dream work. I've never heard uh-huh. that. Well, I say one team, one dream. Oh, oh nice. Yeah. Okay. That's my own little tagline. I guess I just don't have these logos spilling out of me. Sorry. I say oh. mine for me. Yeah. <laughs> There's no I in team? Yeah. 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 Very good. You Thank go. you, Counselor Grounds. That's very good. Very good. Um, all right, we're going to move to Constantine before we start talking about synergy, okay. having your plate full and other corporate expressions of nausea. <laughs> all right, your question, should you wish to accept it, sir? I wish. You're on a roll. Mm. A lot of us take almost constant availability of mobile internet for granted. In fact, it's a luxury not everyone can access. For example, this country just saw 3G mobile internet service rolled out to its citizens. This is a nation that just got 3G. You know this? I think I do. Look at this cross-pollination between these two. It's really yeah. excellent. That's what I'm saying. Or does it take two of them? Oh, oh, it, oh it does. Uh, Wait, one of us. You might be right there. Yeah. There is an insurrection of the women here <laughs> in this broadcast. <laughs> so, so unnecessary. I do not know, so I will take my first hint. You can phone a friend. Do you have to make the phone sounds or I'm not answering? I am, oh, uh, bring, bring. (laughs) (laughs) Hello? (laughs) Is Daniel there? I'm here, Constantine, I'm here. Well, I'm I'm calling to ask you a question, Daniel, about 3G service in a new country. Okay. Do you know the country? I I think it might be North Korea. Oh. I don't think it's there yet. You should use yeah. your second yeah. option. With, with friends like these. All right. Yes. Uh, okay. All right. Weird. Time for a hint. I'm ready. All right. It's not North Korea. <laughs> I was going to guess North Korea. And, you know, let's be generous. All the other ones. Yeah. Nor is it South Korea. They're very tech savvy in South Korea. My guess is West Korea. <laughs> Go ahead. All right. And it's not East Korea. Um, perhaps you would like some rum. In your next beverage, uh, Jamaica? No, I don't think it has anything to do with rum. I think it has to do with the word rum. Uh, Daniel Pelk would be wrong. Your instincts <laughs> would be right. Stop helping, Daniel. You are you are much geographically closer, closer geographically, Just I should say. So the somewhere in the Caribbean. The do the song, Aruba, Jamaica. The wow, relative yeah. tone saying that at the summer jam. Yeah. If you, you know the words. you did. <laughs> John Fitzgerald Kennedy tended to put an R in the name of this nation where it did not belong. Mm-hmm. Like Cuba? Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Very All good. Right. Constantine, you are the big winner for this 
episodes game. Wonders no, that is, never seen. I don't think there were any winners, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> we all struggled pretty hard on that. But I managed to get it with the hints. I, I, I Fair Alice enough. and Grounds Esquire just told you that there's no I in team. No I in team. We're all winners uh, here. Or losers, we all we equally all ignorant together. on that one. We've Again, yeah, mine for equally me. Equally losers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. All right. Moving on to our next game. This one, Allison Grounds Esquire, puts you in the batter's circle. Well, we've set a really high bar, so I'm a little <laughs> nervous about the challenging level of these questions. Miss Sarunian is going to explain this game to you, but first, um, a little background on it. As we've discussed earlier in the broadcast, Troutman Sanders is a very venerable, well-established and respected law firm. Um, governor Carl Sanders, one of the founders of the firm, was the governor of Georgia, an outstanding individual. And we didn't think it would be appropriate to have a game about Governor Sanders. That didn't stop us from having a game about Colonel Sanders. You know, people often confuse this. I, I've, I've, had, I've been asked whether or not I worked for the Colonel, so this is a problem. Miss Arunian, would you care to explain the game? Sure. So each of these panelists will tell a story about a legal case. Two of these cases are real. One is made up. Pick the panelist whose case is fake, and you'll win some relativity swag. Excellent. All right. Why don't we start off with Constantine Pappas? All right. Allison, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. The, the title of this case is Kentucky Fried Chicken of Bowling Green, Inc. v. Sanders. And the Sanders is, in fact, Colonel Harlan Sanders. It was a libel action uh, arising out of an interview in which he said, allegedly, the following. Uh, he, he was basically trash-talking the, the way that Kentucky Fried Chicken had bastardized his recipes. The stuff on the mashed potatoes, for instance, my God, that gravy is horrible. They buy tap water for 15 to 20 cents a thousand gallons, and then they mix it up with flour and starch and end up with pure wallpaper paste. And I know wallpaper paste, by God, because I've seen my mother make it. <laughs> To the wallpaper paste, they add some sludge and sell it for 65 or 75 cents a pint. There's no nutrition to it, and they ought to not be allowed to sell it. And another thing, that new crispy recipe is nothing in the world but a damn fried dough ball stuck on some chicken. Uh, The resolution of this case was that uh, the Kentucky Supreme Court uh, held in favor of Colonel Sanders, saying that a franchisee could not bring a libel uh, action for statements made about the entire franchise. 1978. So that's your first entry. All right. Interesting. Now, batter up our second case from Daniel Pelk. Allison, this one's going to take a little bit of an explanation, sort of a story within a story. Uh, A lot of people associate Colonel Sanders with KFC. However, what you don't know is that KFC was born when Colonel Sanders was 62 years old. So there's a lot of history that goes into it, and it's a very interesting history. That's exactly what the folks at Columbia Pictures thought as well. Colonel Sanders began cooking at the age of seven. By 13, he was painting carriages. By 14, he was a farmhand. By 16, he was a streetcar conductor, and he went to the Army at the age of between 16 and 17 and served in Cuba, where he became a colonel. Uh, After being discharged, he uh, worked on the railroad till he got discharged from the railroad for fighting with another employee. Uh, He began a law practice 
in Little Rock, Arkansas, but had to leave the law practice after he got into a fight with his client in the courtroom. Interesting gentleman. Um, in the 1930s, however, he started managing a shell service station, but got into a shootout with one of his competitors, where the competitor ended up killing one of his employees, and the competitor ended up going to prison. You can see where it's go we're going as far as the uh, the movie is is concerned here. Uh, Columbia Pictures was sold on their story, uh, on his story. In 1975, they wanted to make a motion picture of Colonel Sanders' life. As long as Colonel Sanders agreed to co-produce the movie and provide creative direction. However, around the same time that Constantine is talking about, Colonel Sanders began to sour on the whole KFC thing. And again, as Constantine mentioned, the wallpaper paste wasn't going very well. So Colonel Sanders pretty much backed out of the project. Uh, Columbia Pictures filed suit uh, for breach of contract against the Colonel, claiming that he had abandoned his role and didn't provide the support he had promised. Uh, they had already spent several million dollars uh, scouting locations, getting people lined up for casting. Uh, ultimately, the parties settled for an undisclosed amount. And the motion picture about Colonel Sanders was never made. And we all suffered a great loss. Indeed, we, <laughs> yes, did. we did. All right, we've had Colonel Sanders lambasting the wallpaper-like gravy. We've had Colonel Sanders in a shootout. Julie Huner, your story of the founder of Kentucky Fried Chicken. All right, this one's a little rough, guys. So I'm going to talk about Anna, not our Anna. Thank goodness. Yeah. <laughs> Anna Wurzberger sued KFC for $20 million. She claimed that they had engaged in deceptive advertising and practices. She went there. She bought an eight-piece bucket of chicken. After she saw a commercial starring George Hamilton, <laughs> as we all know, our favorite Colonel Har Harlan Sanders. Very well-tanned chicken. Very well-tanned chicken. Uh, and she paid $20 for that chicken. She said that in the commercial, the bucket was depicted as being overflowing with chicken and that it could feed your entire family, but she did not find it to be overflowing. Uh, she said it contained way less chicken than was shown in the advertisement and that she felt cheated, but also, and this is where it gets a little scary, uh, she was injured by the chicken. Yeah, her stomach was upset with acid reflux and she had to have her gallbladder removed. Uh, she had so much pain and so when she looked into it, she realized that the chickens were being injected with hormones, and she believes that that is what injured her. Uh, the great thing about this is that she would go back every week and continue to eat chicken, um, <laughs> and she would get injured every time she ate the chicken. She also got some pot pie, and that made her sick too. So uh, she brought this to court, again, for $20 million. KFC asked the court to dismiss the complaint, and Judge Roman did end up agreeing. He said that he didn't feel like the allegations were sufficient and that they fell short of the injury that she was uh, trying to address with the statues. All right. Allison Grounds Esquire, partner at Troutman Sanders and managing director of Troutman Sanders Emerge. You are now on the spot. You've got Constantine Pappas, with allegedly wallpaper-esque gravy. You've got Daniel Pelk, with Colonel Sanders having gunfights at gas stations. And of course, you've got Julie Huner, with a poor, unfortunate woman injured through no fault of her own with gastrointestinal distress from chicken. And two of these are actually true. One of them, not so much. It's a really tough call here. Um, I think they sound to be equally plausible based on the history I just got of uh, Colonel Sanders. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with the movie being the, the not true story. 
That is correct. Wow. Yeah. But the only part of that that isn't true is the movie. The movie, right. The, the rest, rest is, is true. true. Yeah. It was really a shootout and all that? It was really a shootout. Wow. So we really are missing a, a, a movie option right here. And it would or be fascinating. we could be the people that... Right. We just discussed that Atlanta yeah. is the new Hollywood, so maybe right. maybe yeah. I can work yeah. some connections on Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Yeah. We've had so many people play Colonel Sanders in the commercials already, we would have a dream Lots kind of, options. of yeah. 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 Didn't Reba McIntyre do this recently, I yes. feel like? Yes. Yeah. She was yes. Daryl Hammond also? Oh, yeah. And yeah. Um, Norm MacDonald. Right. Yeah, mm -hmm. all these fake colonels. Um, Rob Lowe. Rob Lowe, Rob Lowe, I didn't see that. Yeah, one. I think I saw Rob Lowe do it. Well, now what I've learned about the Colonel, I wonder how he would feel about these various people oh, depicting oh, him. I feel like we'd yes. have some more lawsuits that yeah. would be real. Yes, right. wallpaper paste, mm -hmm. I'm sure. Yeah. And yeah. by the way, Daniel Pelt, great pivot to take the wallpaper paste out of your fake fact pattern. <laughs> <laughs> that was good. <laughs> Miss Arunian, any thoughts on the Colonel? I just thought that it's weird that heartburn or like indigestion can be an injury. Like, it just seems traumatic, right? Well, I would have picked that as the fake case. I was just the most confused because she believed the chicken was making her sick, but then just she kept, kept going, going back. back and but it was so good. It was, it was so, so good. good. It was bad. Well, didn't you yeah. see the episode of Seinfeld good. when yeah. Seinfeld was addicted, or not, when Kramer was addicted to uh, Kenny, Kenny Rogers', Rogers chicken? <laughs> <laughs> that was a great episode. It's phenomenal. So I can see but why he didn't. he wasn't yeah. injured. No, but it was the red light. It was, was the red light, but then he switched apartments with Jerry. That's so right. And Jerry he was couldn't able... get sleep. I'm on no sleep. Started yeah. acting no like Kramer. He's like, oh, I'm stressed. <laughs> God, I love Seinfeld. <laughs> and now, Ms. Arunian, another word from our sponsor, BDO. Support for this episode of Uncivil Procedure has been brought to you by BDO. Stakes are high, timelines are tight, sound judgment and professional advice are a must. Put your e-discovery matters in BDO's experienced hands. With more than 30 Relativity certifications and three Relativity Masters on staff, the BDO team will use Relativity One to streamline your e-discovery project from beginning to end. In 2018, it's mostly drug dealers or other nefarious characters who use burner phones to hide their alleged misdeeds. For predictions from Allison Grounds and our panel, what surprising person or persona will be the next to take advantage of burner phones? I don't know if I can meet the surprising um, caveat to that question, but I certainly think um, politicians and political appointees are likely to be that category. If you think about Bridgegate and or other things in the news, I would envision that they would be an easy contender for that. Politicians with their nefarious phones. Before we get to the panel, Ms. Sarunian, care to make a prediction? No. <laughs> no, she is no fool. There is no way she can be proven wrong. I just agree with Allison. <laughs> yes. All right, Julie Huner. Uh, I I want to say me because I feel <laughs> like I am so unable to use my smartphones that like a burner phone is probably the way to go for me. But I actually think it's going to be the the next generation of mobile phone users. I feel like they're going to understand how much data is on these things and be very suspect of that and how it can be used against them and looking for jobs and things and so maybe they'll go back to a more antiquated type of device. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I love but it. Daniel Pelk, who's going to be your nefarious or just innocent character using a burner phone? Well, I was thinking about this, David, and I have a very specific person in mind, persona in mind, uh -huh. and my persona uh, is a New England Patriots quarterback. Oh, <laughs> blasphemy. There it is. At least, Allison, he's not saying that about our That's good true. friend Drew Brees. No, yeah. no. Full circle, full yeah. circle. No, Indeed. absolutely, I'm bringing it back. 
Constantine Pappas, he has blasphemed the New England Patriots. I think blasphemy has to be uh, victimizing something that's sacred. Uh, yes, <laughs> exactly. Oh, and so I question the use of the word. Yes. Objection. Abemus Papam Christi Brady. Your prediction, sir. I'm going to say lawyers. Mm. Uh, yes. And the reason I'm going to say lawyers is I feel like there has been a lot of discussion about lawyers in public potentially betraying privilege. Sure. Lawyers on, on the train or uh, on a plane or somewhere where they've either got a bunch of paper documents open, they have a Redwell on their lap and they're reading pleadings or making notes or they're typing on their laptops or they're talking on the phone and I, sometimes I'm on the phone or I'm on the train and I hear a lawyer talking to their client giving them advice yeah. mm-hmm. and I'm thinking what are you doing um, and I feel like that stuff may potentially be discoverable if there is a, an argument made that there was a, a waiver of privilege and so I could see lawyers starting to use burners in order to um, avoid uh, discovery. Well, considering the price of burner phones, you could do a new phone for every case. I mean, they're relatively inexpensive. Right. Well, that's the point, right? So, so and I, and, I, and I mean, idea. you know, if you watch, you know, Breaking Bad or Better Call Saul or anything like that, yeah. I mean, a lot of bad lawyers will do it as a matter of course because they've got true criminal, you know, clients. But I could see it extending to to legitimate lawyers concerned about malpractice and waiving privilege. That's interesting. Actually, very good practical, friendly advice, not legal advice from Constantine Pappas Esquire. But we've had another fun-filled episode. We've solved all the world's problems from wallpaper-like gravy to 3G phones in certain jurisdictions to uh, Colonel Sanders, Governor Sanders, and uh, Allison Grounds, partner at Troutman Sanders, managing director of Troutman Sanders eMERGE. It's been a real honor to have you and a lot of fun as well. Thanks for being with us. Well, thank you very much. It was a great time. Thank you, everyone, for joining us today on this episode of Uncivil Procedure. A big thanks to our Relativian panelists, Constantine Pappas, Daniel Pelk, and Julie Huner. Our guest was Allison Grounds of Troutman Sanders. Our host was David Horrigan. Our sponsor was BDO. And thanks to a few folks who made Uncivil Procedure possible and civil. Nicholas Matijic, sound and recording engineer. Sam Bach and Christy Esparza were the masterminds behind some of our material today. Tammy Yosasovic is our casting director. Carl Sandrel created our theme music. Gus Tsatsakis created our visual brand. Brendan Ryan is our podcast creator and executive producer. Sean Gaines is our podcast marketing overlord. And I'm Anna Srunian, your David Horrigan Wrangler, and we'll see you next time on Uncivil Procedure. Continue the Uncivil Procedure conversation on social media via Twitter and Instagram. Just follow us at UncivProPodcast. Tag your thoughts with the hashtag Uncivil Procedure and connect with our panelists in the Uncivil Procedure discussion group on the Relativity community. 